we're going to be in Exodus 19. Uh, we're going to wander like the children of Israel before we get to Exodus 19, but it won't be for 40 years. So, But I think Exodus 19 is a chapter that's super important because it's filling in some gaps and it's closing some things down and it's showing you a really important pattern. So I think this is not just me, there's other people that would agree with me and I agree with them. I think God has a plan. I'm just gonna call it the plan. The plan. And I think if you read the Bible, the plan that God has is outlined in the beginning. God doesn't waste any time. He's like, hey, this is my plan. And so the plan is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God creates, creates the garden, creates everything. And then he creates image bearers. And he says something to these image bearers. So first of all, the plan is it involves a place, right? We call that Eden. So God takes his energy, takes his effort, his creativity, he pours it into earth and he makes this special spot called Eden and says, this is where I want you to be. And in Eden, he blesses them. So it's a place called Eden. In that place, there's this just awesome blessing, all right? And then with that plan, God wants a relationship. So it says that he walked, literally it's walked in the ruach of the day. Many translations say the cool of the evening because that's when the wind in the Middle East would come up. But it's literally, God would meet them in the wind of the day, the ruach of the day. So he had this relationship where he'd walk in the cool of the evening. So God, with his image bearers, wants to be with them, wants to talk with them, wants to be around them. He has a relationship. He also commissions them. They have a job. They're commissioned. And that commission is, you guys image bear me. Like I rule the whole cosmos. I want you guys to image bear me down in Eden. So you're gonna have authority, you're gonna have rule, you're gonna have dominion, you have all this. So they're commissioned as, I'll just say an image bearing partner. So they have a commission, a place, relationship, a commission. And, and they're told, God tells them, I want you to flourish. Essentially, I'm summarizing a bunch of words and I want you to multiply multiply, have more, right? And really the only thing that they need to do in response to all this, I'm gonna put it like this. They need to know that God is good and generous. Right, look at this great place you gave us. Look at this incredible rule and authority that you've given to us. God, you are good and generous. And they demonstrate this knowledge by obeying his one command, don't eat. 
of that bad tree. Okay? So I think this is the plan God has. And I don't think he's actually changed that plan. But here's what happened. There was a problem. And that problem very quickly was the humans. The humans become, this is God's plan, but the humans become this problem. They're not, knowing that God is good and generous, they're not, you could just say, faithful covenant partners, right? So they're not faithful. Okay? They don't really believe, if you read Genesis 3, the temptation is God's holding out on you. If God was really good and generous, he would let you eat of this tree. You'd love it. You'd be able to be just like God. So God is not actually good and generous. He's holding out on you. He's another kind of Pharaoh. So they're not faithful and they don't believe that God is good and generous. All right? So there's failure. There's failure in that, okay? But what God does with problems in the Bible is super cool. He does what I call judo theology. He takes evil that he does not cause and he uses that evil because he is good enough and he is powerful enough to use it for his own ends that bring about this plan still. So immediately after the humans are not faithful, they don't believe God is good and generous, what does he do? He makes this promise. It's Genesis 3, 15. The seed of the woman's gonna come and he's gonna crush the serpent's head and the serpent's gonna bruise his heel. What this promise is, is it's a mechanism to get back to the plan. God didn't change the plan. Humans just messed it up. God, through judo theology, which is to use the, the momentum of your opponent against him, God does that through Genesis 3.15, right? But there's this massive space in between. I'm gonna call it the transition. So how many years happened from Genesis 3 to Matthew chapter one? Thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? So you've got thousands of years of transition, even though this plan's there to get back to the plan, there's still this massive transition period, okay? So you can keep going. You can just keep doing this. So if you just keep reading the Bible, you see that this repeats itself. We can go to the 10 older brothers of Joseph. Okay, they're a problem, right? What do they do? They sell Joseph into slavery, but they sell Joseph into slavery. And what does God do? God uses Joseph in Egypt to bring about salvation, to bring about the multiplying of his people. These, the, a place called Gershom is, is brought about, all these things. So, so um, Joseph becomes the savior. Judo theology. Transition, 20 years or so at least. And Joseph makes this brilliant statement, Genesis 50, 20. 
What you meant for evil, God has turned for good to the saving of many lives. That's like, to me, the very first big time statement of this is what God does. He turns evil against itself, okay? So then in, because what happens of this, this is bringing about this promise, especially the multiplying, what happens is the children of Israel get really big. And so Pharaoh is like, oh no. So what does Pharaoh do? He's another problem. He starts to kill babies by throwing them in the Nile River. What happens? Out of the Nile comes Moses, right? Literally means drawn out. So Moses is God's judotheology. You using the Nile to kill babies, out of that same Nile, I'm gonna bring out a guy that's going to help back to the plan. So we can move this thing back to the plan. And there's about 80 years in here. There's a transition period of 80 years where this just kind of happens, okay? So there's this plan. There's a problem. There's transitions. There's judotheology. In the middle of this comes a really, really important guy. His name is Abraham. I'm gonna put Abraham right in this spot underneath the plan. And I'll try to explain why. So if you look at Abraham, what does God promise to Abraham? A place, right? Genesis 12. Go leave your land, leave your family, leave that, and I'm going to give you a promised land. I'm gonna give you a slice of paradise, right? I'm gonna give you a promised land. And then he says, in that land, I'm gonna bless you. And you are gonna be a blessing to all the nations of earth. So it's, it's, it's an almost identical repetition of this one right here. Here's a place, in this place, I'm gonna bless you. So it's, it's, a, it's a reconstituted Eden, if you would. How about relationship? Abraham is the one guy in the Bible who's called the friend of God. This guy, hey, you're my buddy. Genesis 18, God shows up face to face. right, called the friend of God. Relationship. Is he commissioned? Yes. His commission is from you, all the families of earth are going to be blessed. So he's commissioned. Okay, does he flourish? Oh man, read Genesis 13 and 12. So he has so much stuff, like he and his nephew Lot, they start, their people start arguing over all their stuff. When he leaves in Genesis 12 from um, Abimelech, Abimelech gives him a ton of stuff. So it just says he is a very wealthy man. Does he multiply? Yes, like the stars, of the heaven, right? So Abraham is God re, if you would, he's redoing the the plan. Okay, Abraham, we're gonna do this place, we're gonna do this relationship, we're gonna do this commission, you're gonna flourish and you're gonna multiply. Okay, so all of that, transition, problem, judotheology, the plan, this cycle, brings us now to Exodus 19. So if you have your Bible, 
I'll stand because I'm going to be writing some more and erasing. So Exodus 19, what has happened is God now has rescued his people out of Egypt. He's brought them um, to some locations. They've had some skirmishes. And now God is, I think, doing this. This is what I see. He's once again bringing about, hey, this plan is gonna happen. So watch this, pay attention. Exodus 19, verse one. And if you've ever read the Bible really carefully, the cadence of scripture is real important. So there's times that you're reading and it feels like the, the rapid kind of, hey, we did this, and then all of a sudden, just like the brakes get put on and then the Bible just creeps. Watch how the Bible creeps right here. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, like we didn't know that, on the day that they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. <laughs> like that's painful, really. It's so that the reader who has been reading along comes to this and is like, whoa, what just happened? The cadence stopped. The, the engine just went to idle. So there, Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, Yahweh called him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. See my goodness, see my generosity, see my care of you. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So some really important things happened here. I'm gonna point out one. God says this to them. He says, you shall say to the people of Israel, um, if you will indeed obey my voice. The word obey is shema. Shema is, it means literally to hear, but it's often translated obey because to hear God is exactly the same as to obey God. If God is God and God says something, then you and I have no choice but to obey. And so the Bible is just like the same thing, to hear God is to obey God. But this is gonna take the reader back to this really important text. And it's found in Genesis chapter 26. And it's after the death of Abraham. And it says something here, listen to this. It's God promising to Isaac, retelling the story of his dad, Abraham. And he says this, I'm gonna multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands 
And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Abrahamic blessing. Because, listen, Abraham shemad my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So let me ask for Bible students. In Genesis 26, what commands had God made? What statutes had God put out? What law, literally Torah, what Torah existed in Genesis 26? There wasn't any. That doesn't come until Exodus 20. But yet God looking at Abraham and evaluating his life, God looks at him and says, he kept all my commands. He shamed my voice. He kept my statutes and my laws. Well, what did Abraham do? Abraham was not perfect, right? Abraham, at times, you, you could put Abraham right over here. Abraham was a problem. When God says, Abraham, leave your family, come to the land I tell you, he doesn't. He takes his dad and he takes Lot, okay? God says, I'm promising you this land. This is your land, okay? When Lot and his, his people have an argument with Abraham and his dudes, Abraham says this, hey, look around, take whatever land you want. He puts the very promised land in jeopardy. Like, what are you doing? You should have said, Lot, bro, God has promised me this land. I'm gonna take, so God has to intervene and be like, oh no, get him out. So Lot instead looks over and says, I want Sodom. And Abraham is able to take the promised land. So he just gives away the land, right? He consistently lies about his wife, who is his half-sister, but he uses a half-lie and a half-lie is a whole truth. So Abraham is a problem, right? But yet God says something about him at the end of his life. He did it right. He shamed my voice. Just like God is asking the people in Exodus to do. It's almost God saying, be, be another Abraham. That's what I'm asking you. Be another Abraham. So what does Abraham actually do? What covenant does he keep? There's one covenant and it's Genesis 12. Move, I'm giving you this land. I'm gonna make you a blessing. All the families of earth will be blessed by you. That's the one covenant that existed. That's it. That's the covenant. There's a sign of that covenant, Genesis 17, circumcision. So Abraham, Abraham demonstrates obedience, right? So Abraham, no doubt, Abraham believes God is good and generous. And he proves it. The most important time he proves it is when God tells him to do something that's unthinkable. Take your son, your only son, Genesis 22, and sacrifice him. And Abraham does that all the while Abraham is saying to himself, I and the lad are coming back down because I know something about God. He's good and he's generous. And we're gonna come back together. So Abraham knows God is good and generous. And when he is put to the test, he obeys God's voice in circumcision and in the Genesis 22 event. So he does what he's supposed to do, even though not perfect, but God's own evaluation of Abraham is the way that he lived, his amening me, Genesis 15, when I said, dude, look up. Your kids will be like the stars of the heaven, even though you're 99 years old and you don't have a kid. 
He goes, okay, I believe you. I believe you're good and generous. He acted faithfully. So really, if you read the first part of Exodus, I think what you're seeing is God saying, I want you to be another Abraham. And so I'm running out of room here. You could add in, I'm gonna take out Abraham and now I'm gonna replace him with Exodus 19 because you can say that all the same things about this plan is seen in Exodus 19. So you have a place. Over and over in the book of Exodus, chapter three, verse eight, verse 17, chapter six, verse four, Verse eight, chapter 12, verse 25, God is saying to them, I'm taking you back to the promised land. So there's a place, there's a relationship. Not yet, but we'll get to that. Are they commissioned? Absolutely. If you go to this text, he says this, you're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Priests, holy nation. What God wanted with Israel in Exodus 19 was, I want you to be an example to all the Canaanite tribes and all the other people. I want you to be an example, a holy nation to show this light out to all these other nations. This is what happens when you follow Yahweh, that you become my new image bearers out to these nations that have left the truth and wandered off after strange gods, you're gonna be the call to them to come back as priests and a holy nation, right? Are they blessed? Yes. So in Exodus 12, verse 36, when they leave Egypt, it says the people plundered the Egyptians. They got a ton of stuff. So much so that in chapter 36, When Abraham is saying, or excuse me, Moses is saying, give to build the tabernacle, they give so much that Moses has to say, stop giving. You're giving too much. So they have been a blessed, flourishing people, right? They're flourishing. All right. Are they multiplying? They're at 2 million now. That's multiplying. Okay. So what remains, they've got all this, part of the plan, the thing that remains is a relationship. I'm gonna call it like Abraham, face-to-face. To believe God is good and generous. And then to prove that by Shema'in, or obeying even when it doesn't make sense. Like Abraham, like Genesis 22, the Isaac story, okay? So I think what you see now in the next part of this section, you see God bringing these two to pass. Are you guys going to be a covenant person like your father Abraham was, are you gonna be that? So watch this. Verse seven. So Moses came 
called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that Yahweh had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. We're gonna shema him. And Moses reported the words of the people to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh, Yahweh said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So here's what happens. Relationship. God says, you guys, get ready because I'm the creator of the entire cosmos and I'm coming down and I'm gonna be on this mountain, right? But he also says, don't touch the mountain. So God is good and generous, but just because something is good and generous doesn't mean it's safe. My best example is the sun. The sun is really good. It's super generous. Everything that we enjoy is because of the sun. It would, it, life would cease to exist if the sun wasn't so generous with its energy. But you can't hug the sun. It's good and generous, but it's not safe. And that's kind of what God's saying. Hey, be careful. I'm creator of the universe. Be careful. And then the ESV, my translation, says, verse 13, that the people, when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. That's not what it actually says. If you have a really good translation, Young's literal translation, the net Bible does it right, it'll say ascend up the mountain. Not come to the mountain. The Hebrew is literally, you can ascend up the mountain. That there's some kind of a deal that God says, okay, I want you to get ready. I'm coming down, you guys get ready, but stop at the mountain until you hear this signal. And when the signal goes, it's an invitation for you to climb up the mountain to have a face-to-face relationship with me like Abraham, because that's what we've been talking about. That passage, shamaing my voice is going back to Genesis 26, okay? So that's what's being said. Verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. They said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. You're here to meet God. Not stand at a mountain. You're here to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain, right? So the purpose is to meet God. The purpose is not to stand at the mountain and look up. 
The purpose is, once again, like Genesis 18, like Genesis 15, where Abraham has these encounters with God that transform his life. God is inviting all the 2 million people and with the same relationship with you guys. So when the trumpet blasts, it's like a starting gate, come up. So here's what happens. Verse 18, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in fire. And the fire of it, or smoke of it, went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. This is their own Genesis 22. This doesn't make sense. This is hard. Are you kidding me? And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. So the trump goes. And what do the people do? They just stand there because the mountain's trembling and there's smoke. And, and, and they know they could go up, but, but they're afraid and so they don't go up. They don't move. So verse 21, Yahweh said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to Yahweh to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests come near to Yahweh and consecrate themselves lest Yahweh break out against them. And Moses said to Yahweh, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And Yahweh said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So here's what I think happens. God has made this invitation. Let's walk in the cool of the evening. Let's, like Moses, meet face to, like Abraham, rather, let's meet face to face. Let's have this. And here I'm setting the boundary. I'm setting the way it's gonna happen. When the trumpet goes, you guys come up. So the trumpet sounds and it says it got louder and louder. I wonder how long the trumpet went. They just blow on and on and on. Everybody just kind of standing there waiting. I think that's what happened. And the people won't do it. So when the people won't do it, God says, okay, your opportunity to come into my space is over. Stay outside now. And instead of having an Abraham, the plan relationship, what happens is Exodus 20, which is the game of the law. Instead of the Abrahamic, hey, he kept my covenant, he kept my Torah. He didn't have a Torah, he didn't have a covenant, but the way that he walked, believing I am good and generous, obeying my voice, even when I asked him to do hard things, that's what I actually want. That opportunity is now gone. Now, because of your disobedience, now you get the law, okay? So the law, I think, fits right in here. It's a transition, And the law lasts until Jesus and the cross. And, and this is where it gets important, okay? And if you read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, what you see is this pattern repeats itself. God shamas something, the people disobey him, and God gives them more laws. And then they go for a while, 
God shamas something that people disobey and then God writes more laws. And it goes from 10 to 100 to 500 to 613. Every time that people disobey, the pattern is, okay, I've got to put more boundaries around you, more laws around you, temporary, right? To keep you safe. And we'll keep reading the book of Exodus. And a big portion of Exodus is about this place called the tabernacle. The building of the tabernacle. Why did Israel need to build build a tabernacle? Because they failed in Exodus 19. They failed to do the walk with God like Abraham did. And because of that, they have to make a tent of meeting that Abraham never needed. Abraham never needed it. Why? Because Genesis 15, he met with God. Because Genesis 18, he met with God. He didn't need the tabernacle. But now they need a tabernacle because of their disobedience. And what's so interesting is Exodus gives you the hint it's not gonna work because at the end of Exodus, the tabernacle is made. God descends on it like Mount Sinai. It says this, no one can go in it. So there's this elaborate, the majority of the end of Exodus is the building of this tabernacle. Oh, good, we get Exodus 19 again. Nope, you don't, no one can go in. The people could not stand to go in because of God's presence. So it's like saying, it's not gonna work. Okay, so if you're spun by this, it's okay. Because the big point on this and the big point I think of the first five books of the Bible is there's these patterns that are shaping us. And there's this argument today about what do we do with the law? What do we do with the 613 commandments that are found in the Old Testament? Do you and I as believers in Jesus in the cross and Jesus in the cross is, we'll talk about getting us back here. Do we need this right here? Do we need the law? Do, are, do we need to worry about what we eat? Do we need to worry about those kind of things? And when I have that conversation with people, it's real simple to me. No, the first five books of the Bible are about faith, right? Moses, the law dude, this is Moses, called his law. Moses, the law dude, does he ever get the number one thing? Does he ever get the place? Does he ever get into the promised land? Nope. Abraham, no law, halfway obedient, lies about his wife, tries to give away the land, brings his dad a lot when God says, leave your family. Abraham's all over it. He gets the place, no problem. He is all over the place. But Moses, with all the law and all that stuff, never is allowed to go into the land because what God wants is obvious in the Torah. He wants a people of faith. He wants people that say, God is good and he is generous and I will obey him even when it doesn't make sense because I trust in his goodness and his generosity. You come to the New Testament, you come to Jesus who is the express image of the father and he marvels at people's faith right? The centurion, great is your faith. Why does Jesus marvel at the centurion's faith? Because he has believed that he is good and generous. I know that you're good and generous. I know what kind of person you are. And Jesus marvels at that, right? So God is still looking for the same kind of people. And this is so important because there's a battle in our brains. We still have the Genesis 3 lie coming to you and me that God is holding out on you. That if you could just eat of this fruit, If I could just have that woman, just have that guy, have that job, have this money. If I just had that, I'd be happy. That same lie is there today. And it doesn't work. 
Or the other side of it is this. You didn't keep all these laws. You're a bum, right? I just say, well, neither did Abraham, but he did something right. He did this one right. He had a relationship face to face and he believed God was good and generous and he obeyed even when it didn't make sense. He passed the test when Genesis came. And that's what God is really looking for, right? So this to me just puts it together for me personally. And then Jesus comes and what Jesus comes and does is this. Jesus comes and through his work, what's he doing? He's given us a place, right? John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. You can read about it more in Revelation 21 and 22. How about a relationship? Okay, John 15. Jesus says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends, just like Abraham. Are we commissioned? Oh my goodness, are we ever commissioned, right? Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel. We're commissioned as ambassadors. Let your light so shine that men see your good work. We're commissioned to be image-bearing partners that you and I will be mostly the Bible people read. Right? Does he want us to flourish and multiply? Yes, one day every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be together. Flourish, John 10, 10. I claim that you might have life and you might have that more abundantly. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to have faith, that Jesus is good and he's generous. And because he is good and generous, we obey, we obey his commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. To me, this is the plan. And it's been the only plan that God wants. And everything else, including the law, and you can read right here, Galatians 3, 19, that says the law, Moses was an intermediary. intermediary. It was temporary. It wasn't meant to last. Once Jesus comes, it's gone, and we go back up to the plan, place, relationship, commission, flourish, multiply, know that God is good and generous, and we shema his voice because he is good and generous. We don't eat of the forbidden fruit. That's huge. And one of the most important things I think that transforms us into this kind of people is what God says about these guys. And it's all the way back in verse five. He says, now therefore, if you'll indeed shema my voice, Genesis 22, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all people. You and I, with our Abraham-like flaws, are God's treasured possession for some reason. I can't figure it out for myself. Like, why? God, why choose me? But he has. And when you allow that to actually sink into your heart, that God looks at you and says, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You are my treasured possession. And I'm preparing a place for you. And I want a relationship with you. And I want to commission you for a job. And I want you to flourish and to multiply. And all you need to do is just remember I'm good and generous. And my goodness and generosity leads to repentance and leads to your obedience. And we allow that to actually move us. We become an Abraham kind of people. We become in the A plan kind of people. It happens to us naturally and beautifully. So the law, and we're gonna study it and look at it. 
but it's an intermediary. It was never meant to last. Once Jesus comes, once the cross comes, it is God's judo theology that gets us back up to, here is the plan of the ages, and we're back into that. So, hope you enjoyed this little different take. Um, Let me pray and enjoy your evening. Jesus, thank you for your plan. Thank you that you are good and you are generous. Thank you that you look at Abraham-like people and you say, you're my treasured possession. And I've got a hold of you and I'm not gonna let go of you. And so I pray for any out there today that the enemy is whispering Genesis 3 lies to, because he still does, that God's holding out, that he is not generous. I pray that they would remember this study that remember what you did with Abraham, who is the father of faith. He's held up in the New Testament as the example, a guy who did not do things perfectly. But in the Genesis 22 test, he shamad, he obeyed because he had found God to be good and generous. And you say of Abraham, well done, good and faithful servant enter into your rest. You have kept my statutes. You've kept my covenant. You've kept my Torah. You say that about Abraham because he simply believed you. Genesis 15, six. He amened your promises and you counted it to him as righteousness. And so may we know as we amen your promises that you're good and you're generous, that you're trustworthy, that you're the solid rock that we stand on. When we do that, we're counted as righteous. We're pleasing in your sight. We become your treasured possessions. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.